Cynthia A. Thomas is a licensed counselor in the state of Maine. She is also licensed and ordained with the International Church of Foursquare Gospel. Cynthia's teaching is focused on ordinary people learning an extraordinary way of loving God and loving others. Where church isn't a building, it's people learning together and encouraging each other to follow the teaching of Jesus. Thanks for joining today, and now here is Cindy with today's focus. First Thessalonians 5, 15-19 See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. When we think of the command, do not quench the Spirit, what emotion do we attach to that statement? In the past, I have felt that statement has been preached as a form of rebuke. After serving Jesus over this past 40 years, I have become aware of an interesting point of view that often seems to be taken when, we, when reading Scripture. Does anyone besides me feel like Scripture is often read and preached from the point of view that God is mad at us for being so naughty. Now, I have no doubt that God is angry at sin because the Bible tells us that. However, is he really angry at us for every area where we fall short and need to grow up? I mean, the Bible teaches us from 2 Corinthians 3.18 that this journey with Jesus is a glory-to-glory glory growing process. So when I start thinking about this, I started trying to read scripture through a perspective of Jesus loves us with a protective passion, not that he's totally angry at us because of all our faults and failures. In fact, after listening to many people over the past 40 years, I marvel at how many people are scared to approach God at all because they think he's mad at them. From my vantage point as a pastor and a Christian counselor, I can say that perspective does not lend itself well to emotional health and victorious living in freedom in Christ. If we always think God is mad at us, how in the world do we have a positive, loving relationship with him? Did you notice all these things in this portion of scripture I read are relational? Let's look at it and see what else scripture has to add to the thought. 1. Don't repay evil for evil. In Romans 12, 17-21 it says, Repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, 
you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay, here the statement wrath of God and the word vengeance sound pretty angry, don't they? As I looked in various translations of the text, instead of wrath of God, it said his judicial righteousness. And I read that the word vengeance has within its meaning vindication, retribution, and punishment. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. We are clearly told that we reap what we sow in this life. And from our Romans text, clearly we are not the ones God wants passing judgment. It's not our job. We're supposed to treat people honorably and live in peace around other people as much as it's possible for us. And we're to leave judgment to God. And let's face it, only God knows our hearts and only He can act justly. Only God can bring forth justice in mercy. And we all need justice meted out with mercy, don't we? God is the one who knows what to do. We need to let go of any need to pay back anyone for their ill actions against us, and we need to trust God to deal with things on our behalf. Now, what I'm talking about is a little different from our laws and justice system, and I'm not going that route today. But even in that, is our heart looking for revenge or justice becomes a question because our attitude matters. 1 Peter 3.9 Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Who obtains a blessing for this obedience? The one who does not repay evil for evil. So this counsel from God is to set us up to obtain a blessing. Number two in our text, do good to one another and to everyone. One commentary said that one another is the household of faith and everyone are those all around us that don't believe in Jesus. Our Galatians 6 scripture goes on from verse 7 and says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially 
to those who are in the household of faith. This seems to put the order the other way around from the First Thessalonians scripture. This puts everyone first, then emphasizes especially our brothers and sisters in the faith. How we treat others is important to God. In Matthew 22, 37 through 40, Mark 12, 30 through 31, and Luke 10, 27, Jesus teaches that after the first and greatest command to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, the next is just as important, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Then in Luke 10, Jesus answers the question of who our neighbor is by telling the story of the Good Samaritan, which pretty much tells us that anyone around us should be considered our neighbor, especially those in need. So not quenching the Spirit of God involves trusting God to deal with evil done to us as we continue to do good to those around us. We are not supposed to return evil for evil done to us. To do so will not only quench the ability of the Spirit to do His job, but will then put us in the path of God needing to deal with us as well, instead of us posi positioning ourselves in the path of His blessing. To handle things the way we are counseled is for our ultimate benefit, that you may obtain a blessing, Peter tells us. Number three, rejoice always. What does the word rejoice mean? It means to have joy, to delight and take pleasure in the Lord. It has a meaning of joy in the sense of great happiness or joy in the sense of having a calm, trusting peace and assurance of God's faithfulness and work on our behalf, even in the face of adversity. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that so easily clings to us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This kind of joy is not the laughing pleasure kind, I can guarantee that. <laughs> it is the kind that is determined to trust God, that He will bring something great out of our suffering and will give us the endurance to go through tough times and continue to be faithful for him, to him. Nehemiah 8.10 tells us that the joy of the Lord is what gives us strength. In Proverbs 17.22, we are told, A joyful heart is good like a medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. 
To give up trusting God no matter what will lead us to a crushed spirit that will ultimately devour us from the inside out. If you'd like to study more on this subject, go to one of my earlier podcasts titled Rejoicing, Joy, and the Spiritual Warfare of Thanksgiving. I also did a, a, an Advent podcast titled Joy in the Advent Season. You can follow up on this idea of joy and rejoicing in more depth through those podcasts. Going on to the council of our first Thessalonians 5 text, we get to pray without ceasing, number four. This does not mean we need to formally pray 24-7. However, we are supposed to have a God-awareness and spiritual communion with God all day long, every day. You know how when you're married or in love, you have this person you love on the back of your mind often? Even if you're not with them, even if you're focused on a job or a task, your awareness is there of this one that you love. It's always present on some level. You might text at lunch or see something in your day that makes you think of them or or maybe you're just looking forward to finishing your task and going back and be with them again. We just talked about the fact that the greatest command is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Are we aware of him all day long? Like we would be somebody that we loved here on earth. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Ephesians 6.18 Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Philippians 4.6 Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. James 1.5 If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. All these scriptures show that we're supposed to be talking to God a lot <laughs> about ourselves, about each other, about everything going on in our day. We're not supposed to leave him out of any part of our day. We're not supposed to just like go to church on Sunday or do our devotions each day or say a prayer and then forget about God the rest of the time. He should be in our awareness like a beloved person in our life is in our daily awareness. That communion is a kind of prayer. I talked more about Ephesians 6.18 in the podcast, Spiritual Warfare, Armor of God, Praying at All Times, if you'd like to go check that one out. 
A type of prayer that I work to make a habit in my life is the next thing our 1 Thessalonians 5, 15-19 list gives us. Number five is give thanks in all circumstances, and it goes on from there to explain that this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Think about that a moment. The will of God is for us to be a thankful people. If we practice God-awareness during our day, do we realize how many things we could give thanks to God for? I did a Thanksgiving series that goes into the power of what I consider is actual warfare in the spirit that happens when we give thanks. The the first podcast in the series is titled The Spiritual Warfare of Thanksgiving. So you can go listen to that if you want to have more scriptural teaching on this subject. Philippians 4.6 tells us by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we are to make our requests known to God. It's not supposed to be just a wish list to God. We're supposed to be thanking Him for things also. Colossians 3, 15-17 says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In these three verses, It counsels us to be thankful in every one of them. And we are told to be thankful in all circumstances. Do we understand that even when we go through tough times in life, there is always something we can find to give thanks to God concerning? Having a thankful heart, or what we call often an attitude of gratitude is the will of God for us, we're told. And the place of anointing and power is when we choose to act in a way that lines ourselves up with the will of our God. Our Thessalonian passage ends with, do not quench the spirit. To me, this isn't an angry threat of God that we better obey or else. This is a passionate pleading to God's people, trying to let them know that it is in our best interest if we want to be overcomers of this world, in this world. This instruction is for our victorious living. Anytime we line our lives up with the Word of God, We raise that Ephesians 6.17 sword of the Spirit and we fight spiritual warfare in the name and power of Jesus. If we neglect the Word and its counsel to us, in any area, I would say, then we will quench the Spirit to be able to work in us and through us to His full effectiveness.
God moves through his people here on this earth. We are the salt and light and ambassadors representing the kingdom of our God in Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.3 even tells us that how we live our lives is a letter from Christ to those around us. How are we living our lives? What do others around us see when they look at our lives? What do our kids see? That can be a sobering thought, can't it? And people don't necessarily need to see us being perfect. They need to see us being authentic Jesus followers. They need to see us working to live in a way that honors Christ. They need to see how we do everyday life, how we handle success, how we handle failure, and everything in between. Now, God knows this is a glory-to-glory glory growing process. What we are responsible for is continuing to follow Jesus and learn from Him and to be doers of the Word we already know and understand. We are responsible to live what we know. If we refuse to do that, we quench the Spirit's move through us. God is counseling us in this 1 Thessalonians 5 passage, showing us some things to think about so we don't end up quenching the move of the Spirit of God in and through us. As we go forward in our lives, let us meditate on making these truths part of the way we think. And let us be motivated to follow James 1.22 and be doers of the word and not hearers only. And keep on keeping on in Jesus, everyone. Till next time. And that concludes today's segment. We hope to see you next time as you learn the extraordinary ways of loving God and others.